Hello everyone and welcome on into the Betting Pros College Football Look Ahead. I'm Thomas Viola and joining me for the next 13 weeks of collegiate football action, none other than the God of Thunder himself from the land of a thousand lakes. Ladies and gentlemen, Thor Nystrom. Thor, how's it going? It's going really well, Tom. It's yesterday, obviously, college football kicked off. The, the season kicked off, and today is my birthday. And now we get to, to dive into what is a full week one card. So absolutely thrilled and good to be with you. Oh, well, happy birthday, my friend. Thank you so much for taking the time today. I am so excited to spend the next 13, 13 weeks and change breaking down these college football slates with you. We're going to be coming at you guys here each and every week with Thor's look-ahead lines, talking about his favorite games, talking about some of the biggest games, everything you need to know to break down this week's college football slate. And we start off here, of course, with week one. And Thor, the first game that I have up to talk with you about here, I want to talk about Louisiana Monroe versus Texas because it's not going to be a powerhouse battle, but you know, Everybody always asks every year, is Texas back? And in this game, they are 38 and a half point favorites as the line stands right now. You think that there's a slight discrepancy there, but more so what I want to ask you here leading off, how do you approach betting games like this where you have such a monster point spread? Because as we have non-conference play to start the year, you're going to see some of these games between powerhouse teams taking on small teams, and you're going to see monster spreads of 30, 35, even 40 points like this in these games. How do you approach betting a game like this? Yeah, it's sort of like, you know, someone who shops online a lot and they, they start to just look for the coupons and the values Whatever line I'm looking at, I'm I'm always, you know, whether it's a big spread or a small spread, I'm just looking for the biggest, what I perceive to be the biggest, you know, value overlay in my advantage. A lot of times that is not on the big spreads, like especially laying the points with a favorite. I almost never do that in college football with a favorite over, say, 25 points. There will be spots where I'll pick and choose to take the points with with the heavy underdog. Um, specifically in instances where I don't think the favorite is is either motivated to to lay a number on them or they want to get out of there quicker and, and just get the, the, the clock rolling and stuff like that. Or if there's an indication that they're going to yank the starters earlier than, than you might think and, and get into the backup stuff like that. Um, or if, if, if the, the underdog is just super, super undervalued by the market. In this case, um, I, I don't really see that. Uh, I, you know, I'm, I'm a little bit higher on Texas than the market is, but I would also, I mean, you know, going to the very bottom of the barrel, I also think I'm a, just a bit higher on UL Monroe probably than, than the market. UL Monroe got back their old offensive coordinator, uh, Matt Lubick, over, over the offseason. They had tried to, to, to roll it forward with, with Rich Rodriguez uh, these last couple of years as their offensive coordinator. I don't know what has happened to Rich Rodriguez since he left West Virginia he, he failed as a head coach a couple different times, and, and now his offenses aren't, are not working either as an offensive coordinator. But Matt Lubick is a guy who, going back three, four years, the last time that UL Monroe was interesting, when, when they had like an offense that could actually score, that's when Matt Lubick was their offensive coordinator. So getting him back, I, I think, is going to be big there. But, but just as far as this game, you know, my number on it is, is pretty close to what the Vegas spread is. Like you said, uh, Longhorns are favored by 38 and a half. My number on it is is uh, Longhorns by 39.1. So I'm not showing a, a ton of value there. For me, this is going to be more of an informational game to get my eyes on Quinn Ewers. We, we've never seen Quinn Ewers with the bullets flying during an, an FBS game, college football game. That's what I'm most interested to see. Is that arm for real, like people have been saying? Is he you know, a young Matt Stafford, like, like some have claimed? I, I, I want to get my eyes on him. We're not going to get a referendum on him this week playing UL Monroe, but the next week they play Alabama. So that's why we want to get the information on UT this week. I am very much looking forward to that Alabama game. It, a Texas win, and suddenly even I'm here saying they might indeed be back. I don't think it's probably going to happen, but we will see, and we will see how this week plays out first. But one of the things that you just touched on there is value. And some people make the common mistake, you especially see it in gambling social media all the time, is they look at a number and they say, oh, this, this is three to one, therefore it has value. That's not what value means. Value means that you think you are getting a number that is significantly better than what that number should be. Not necessarily what it is. It has nothing to do with the payout you're actually getting. 
And we're going to focus a lot on that in how we go over some of these games here over the course of the next 13 weeks. And one of the biggest games for you when it comes to value on the board right now is Louisiana Tech versus Missouri this week. The spread is 19 points, and you think that that number is just flat out wrong. I do. Yeah. My, my number on that is, is Missouri by 11.4. So my overlay on it is, is 7.6 points in favor of Louisiana tech, the, the underdog. You have a couple of different things going on here. Uh, Missouri lost a lot over the off season. They lost their starting quarterback. They, they lost some other guys. They're going with a bunch of young guys on offense, uh, you know, bo- both at the quarterback position. Also, um, I mean, th- throughout the, the the two deep, like Luther Burden, uh, the five-star receiver who's coming in, a true freshman, he's going to get pounded with targets, like right from the jump and stuff like that. Um, Drinkowitz has done a decent job of adding talent. They're just not there yet. Like, it's like th- this is going to be a very young two deep that Missouri has th- this coming season. We'll see if Drinkowitz can survive for a couple more years to be able to see this through. But this is not going to be the team where where that jumps up. I, I don't think that Missouri is going to make a bowl game this year. Meanwhile, on the Louisiana Tech side, I honestly think the market is a little bit too low on them. You know, they they had a coaching change over the offseason. They bring in Sonny Cumbie. I, I think that Cumbie has a chance to get that system off the ground pretty quickly. He brought in two veteran quarterbacks that he had coached at his previous two stops, you know, like these fifth-year senior guys who both are sort of students of the air raid. So it, it looks like Matt Downing is, is going to be the starter there. He knows how to run that system. So so it's it's, it's not like there's going to be something lost in translation or or the players are going to take longer to acclimate to the new coaching staff like, like you see in, in, in some other circumstances. Louisiana Tech also has a, a surprisingly deep receiving core for a G5 team that had, that had a win total of like four and a half in in Vegas I I think Louisiana Tech has more talent than is is perceived and I think that the schematic changes that are are being brought were brought to them over the summer that that that's going to tick the team up so I I think these two teams are going back to your point about the value I think these two teams are closer in reality than than the perception that this line is trying to forward Now, these two teams you think are a lot closer, but flipping the script the other way, teams that you think are a lot further apart than the book is current, than books are currently putting out Western Michigan and Michigan State. You like the Sparties laying 20 here. You think that that number is about 10 points too few. Yeah, I do. Yeah. And, you know, obviously Kenneth Walker is gone. Right. And so I, I think, you know, the market has has shifted way down on, on Michigan State, but they did a decent job of, of reloading. And it's not like, you know, now they're just going to devolve into the team that they were the year before. They brought in a couple uh, starting caliber uh, P5 running backs, one of whom was the P, uh, the Pac-12 player of the year a couple of years ago, uh, Broussard. And then they got uh, this kid Berger from Wisconsin, you know, just across the way in, in, in the Big Ten. Their quarterback also should be really solid. I mean, he, he's absolutely above an above average starter for the Big Ten in, in Peyton Thorne. And, and they have receivers. Like, you know, the, and I think what you're going to see the, this year is, is a bit more passing out of them. I think the defense could also be uh, a, a little bit better. Um, this, But this play is as much against Western. In fact, it's probably more against Western. Western Michigan than it is for uh, Michigan State. Western Michigan the past couple years has been dangerous because you had Caleb Ellaby throwing to Sky Moore. Those guys are gone now in, in the NFL, and they weren't the only people that Western Michigan lost. They, they sort of cratered out the two deep. A lot of new starters on, on that team. I think it's going to take Western Michigan longer to, to sort of get their sea legs under them. And I also don't think we're going to see the same quality of Western Michigan that we've seen the last couple of years. So, so this game, the, the market's looking at this more competitive again, because I, I think they're looking at Michigan State. You know, maybe it's it's they're going to be somewhere between where they were the last couple of years and Western Michigan is going to be who, who, who they've been. I just don't think that that's actually the case. Now, a team in orange and blue with Tommy DeVito at quarterback actually impressed this last Saturday. And I am very Very sad that it was no longer my orange. But Illinois, the fighting Illini, now go on to face the Hoosiers of Indiana. And this line is at Indiana minus three and a half. And you're saying the book is completely wrong. This should be three points going the other way. Yeah, I I think the book's wrong on this. And by the way, I I did think of you yesterday when I was watching uh, Illinois and Wyoming. And and DeVito actually looked pretty good. 
Um, and he also, by the way, after, after the game, he, he sort of took a little bit of a shot at, at Syracuse. Uh, yeah. I, I wasn't sure how I felt about that, but DeVito was telling reporters, he's like, he's like, I didn't get sacked today. When's the last time you could say that about one of my games? And it's like, wow, like the Syracuse offensive lines watching it. Like we're catching strays out here. We weren't even playing today. Um, to be but- fair, fully deserved. They deserved that shot. He, the, the protection for him was horrible and I'm glad to see him succeeding somewhere. I'll give him that shot. Yes. Yeah. I mean, it, it definitely was fair. And, you know, with, with this team, I, you know, I think both the, the things you were encouraged about the Wyoming game, DeVito's performance. And then also, you know, to, to his point, we knew that their offensive line was the mauling, you know, run game, you know, sort of a thing. Like they averaged 320 pounds per starter across the the five line spots. Illinois does. You, you didn't know how much it would translate to pass pro, in recent years, or I guess last year would be the analogous one, their, their pass protection was not as good. So the fact that it was in the first game, now you could say, oh, you know, it's just Wyoming. You, you toss that out. Well, Craig Bull is a pretty good defensive coach. So, you know, I mean, the fact that Wyoming's offense stinks, that, that just is what it is. But Wyoming typically is, is, is better on, on defense. So, so I like the performance on, on both of those sides. And it does seem like Illinois does not have to play the one way that they played last year. I, I'm still... I, I can't get fully on board with the idea that Brett Bielema is going to go up tempo, you know, like all in all the games, like he was promising. But whereas last year they pay, played at a pace slow, so slow that it was like paint drying. Now you can, you can start to vary the tempos a little bit as situations dictate, which is a good thing for Illinois. Um, and then as far as this game, you know, like we were saying, I, I just think that the spread is off. Um, and it's what's weird to me is, um, you know, and, and we were even looking over this before the show where I had to go back and double check the spread that I had inputted for this game to make sure that the, the, the Vegas spread, it was the correct team that was favored. Because I really feel like the correct line on this game, it's, it's, it's Illinois minus three or, or minus three and a half. Illinois brought back most of the guys from last season's team that went five and seven and had a series of close losses. Like, you know, they, it was like, you know, of, of those seven games, it was like four or five of them were, were single-digit losses. Whereas on, on the other side with Indiana, they stunk last year and they lost a whole bunch of guys. Like Michael Penix, the, the, you know, the quarterback, and he, he had been injured for a, a, a lot of last year, but the offense devolved into Hades land without him. Right. And, and now you bring in Connor Bazelak. We were just talking about Missouri. They, they brought him in as their quarterback, but they don't appear to have a running game again. It looks like they're going to go with Sean Shivers this year, who they signed from Auburn, just sort of like last year. They had gone with Stephen Carr, who they signed from USC. Carr didn't really add an explosive element to the offense. I don't think that Shivers is going to add, a, you know, another dimension that, that concerns defenses. And, and, and Tom Allen, the, the other issue for him is a couple of years ago when during the COVID season where they had that really solid season for a little bit, it looked like the Hoosiers could make the Big Ten title game, sort of under fluky circumstances, but still they had that really, really solid defense. And they sent like four guys to the NFL. They were all these kids from Florida that Tom Allen had discovered like under the radar, like these mid three stars that he'd sort of like, you know, found them and then polished them, whatever. What we've seen these last couple of years is not as much of that. He has not been finding the steals and then, and then polishing them up. Indiana's got to get back to that or else they're going to devolve right back into the drain. And as a Kansas fan, I can speak to this personally because when Kansas was good, it was when Mark Mangino was finding three stars from around the country who'd been overlooked for one reason or another. Todd Reesing, you know, for a quarterback, five foot, 10, 190 pounds. He, he came from Austin, Todd Reesing did. Texas didn't want anything to do with him because of his size. He goes to Kansas, he starts four years, wins an Orange Bowl. You know, Aqib Talib was another one. He was like super raw, whatever. Um, it, it, it's the same thing here with Indiana. They got to get the, the player development back and, and, and the, you know, the, the, or the, the identification back, the scouting. And then the development should sort of go with that. But I, I think identifying the recruits is, is something they've been missing in recent years. Now, a game, it's week one, but, you know, it's college football. There are still must-win games. And one that is absolutely must-win here for Oregon, going up against Georgia, they are getting 17.5 points in this game. We saw them pull off an upset over Ohio State last year. And to be quite frank, especially in the Pac-12, if you want any chance at the college football playoff, Oregon has to win this game. 
You actually like them a little bit more than the books, though. 17 and a half is their line, the adjusted Thor line, closer to 11. It is, yeah. So, I, you know, I, I do see some value on Oregon in this game. I, I am a little bit surprised that, that Vegas is giving Georgia – this much respect like uh, certainly i expected georgia to be a double digit favorite like you know no problem there but 17 and a half you you have gone now over several key thresholds after you just lost a historic amount of talent to the nfl you know was it five first round defenders and what 10 kids overall or or whatever it was they lost a couple running backs and you know the 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 whole thing pickens you know etc etc you know, of course, they're going to reload. They, they still have one of the nation's one, two or three best defenses. However, you want to parse that in the preseason definitely might still be the best. We'll, we'll see about that. Um, and, and the offense, you know, they, they still certainly have pieces. Obviously, Sets and Bennett is back. The running back room is going to be reloaded, um, get, you know, because last year they were playing four guys. This year they can either just cut it to two because the two left. Or, you know, they, they're bringing in all these stud freshmen, they, they, the sophomores from last year, whatever. Um, you could tick that back up. And then what's going to be really interesting about their offense this year is they're going to have the best tight end room that we've seen in college football since Iowa had TJ Hawkinson and Noah Fant. Because you got Brock Bowers, who last year, you know, may have been the best tight end in college football, especially with Mayer being, being on again, off again, hurt with Notre Dame. You could probably say that about Bowers. Then you're getting Eric Gilbert, who – incredibly Georgia won the, the title last year without him after signing him from, from LSU. Um, and, and so you add him to that. Eric Gilbert's the closest thing that college football has seen to Kyle Pitts since Kyle Pitts left. Eric Gilbert is the replacement for George Pickens. It, it's not one of the receivers on, on Georgia's two deep. It, it's Eric Gilbert. He is the guy that is going to be stretching the field. And then they have a third t- NFL tight end on, on their team in Darnell Washington, who is this jumbo jumbo, essentially a, a third offensive tackle on the field at all times, not as much of a receiver, but for that downhill running game, it, it, it's just devastating. So, so th- you know, they, they, they got a lot of stuff going on there. Whereas with, with Oregon, what makes this, this matchup so fascinating is the architect of that defense, or the, you know, the understudy to the architect there, however you want to say that with Kirby Smart, Dan Lanning, the defensive coordinator for Georgia last year, he goes to Oregon over the offseason. They hire him to replace Mario Cristobal, who, of course, had, had gone back to, to Miami. So you bring in Lanning. Landing his first game in Oregon now, he's got to travel down to, to face Georgia, the school he just left, in Atlanta, um, in this huge marquee, you know, showcase game where all of the eyes of, of college football are going to be on them. And he's going to war with Bo Nix, who has been one of the most, you know, the last two plus years was like the most maligned SEC quarterback. So you're going to war with Bo Nix against what still should be this devastating defense. It's going to be really interesting to see the way that that plays out. Um, but I think the rest of Oregon's skill talent is probably better than people think. Like they, they lost Travis Dye to USC. I actually don't care about that, even though I think Dye is pretty good because Byron Cardwell, who was the backup last year, might be better. He's certainly more explosive. And they have a whole bunch of Ballyhood uh, freshmen and sophomores behind him. So their running back room is still fine. They, they still have plenty of talent there. I, I do like – you know, Oregon to, to probably keep this one within the spread. But this is one that I'm going to be studying a lot more this week. And I'm also going to be paying very close attention to the comments coming both out of the Oregon camp with Dan Lanning and then also the Georgia camp with Kirby Smart, his former mentor. Now, the next game up here is one with a very, very big name brand that everybody is familiar with. We have Rice. The team that everybody loves to love going up against this uh, small school in Southern California, University of Southern California. I don't know. Thirty four and a half points is the line here for USC. And you think that that line is just a touch off? I do. Yeah, my my line on that one is USC minus twenty eight and a half. So I I guess I I have a six point discrepancy on that. This one is a pure and simple tax. If you're going to bet on USC and lay the points in this game, you are paying a six-point tax to bet on the Trojans. And, uh, you know, most of that is from the excitement over the offseason, bringing Lincoln Riley, bringing in Caleb Williams, Mario Williams, you know, Travis Dye, the, the, the whole Jordan Addison, the Boletnikoff winner, the, the whole thing. You know, the, there's been obviously a ton of excitement there. My Me and my numbers specifically, because that's what we're talking about, we're high on, on USC and, you know, in, in relation to what they have been, in fact, they were tied for the highest jump 
in my power ratings from the end of last year to the start of this year. They, they jumped up 39 spots. So it's not that my system is, is too low on USC. I drag them up about as far as you can from a year-over-year proposition but people got to keep in mind usc's roster and if, if you add the, the changes between a coaching staff and a, and a roster and a two deep year over year usc is going through one of the most the biggest changes that we've ever seen for a team that is considered a, a title contender you know I, I think that's fair to say some people do at least a, a conference uh, title contender in the power five we haven't really seen a, a, a seismic roster change like this for a team that the people are still confident in. So it, it, that one is just too many points uh, for me to lay, even though obviously I, I don't really love Rice. Um, although Mike Bloomgren, the, the former Stanford offensive coordinator, he, he was the offensive coordinator when McCaffrey was there. He, he's been there long enough now where at least his systems are in place and he's doing a lot of that same stuff that he used to do under David Shaw, by the way, when Stanford was good, I, I know a lot of people out there might not remember this because Stanford stunk the last, last several years, sort of coincided with Bloomgren leaving. But but what, what he wants to do is shorten the game. So th- those two guys, are Riley and Bloomgren, are going to have opposite strategies in this game. Bloomgren's will work if USC's defense has not jumped up. US, USC's defense changed just as much as its offense. It's just it didn't get the star caliber players on defense. So that's the one part of that team where there's the open uh, questions about it. I've been reading a lot of quotes. I, I've been just fascinated by spe- specifically the defense because I, I believe that the USC's offense is just going to be awesome from the jump, especially because there was so much continuity, you know, moving over there. The defense is more interesting to me. And so, I, you know, I've been looking up like quotes from Alex Grinch and, and the different position coaches and stuff. Publicly, they sound pessimistic about the Trojans' defense's progress to this point at least those are the comments that they're forwarding to the media now those might be you might be trying to send a message to your players and be like you guys are not hot you know hot you you, 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 i I didn't want to swear but you're you're not you know the the huge deal you don't read the the newspaper clippings before we've even had a chance to to play a game or if that's like a legitimate concern that, that they're not really gelling right now and, and you have all these moving parts and they're still looking for people to actually win starting jobs and stuff like that. But if, if right now I, I would be betting uh, Rice plus those points. It's just too many points. Now, another team that you want to talk about here, TCU versus Colorado. The line is 10 and a half right now in favor of Texas Christian. And you think that's not enough points. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, my, my adjusted line on that one is um, fifteen 15.2. 15.2, yeah. So, so the, I, I got a difference of almost five points on that line. This is an example of a week one game where the favorite, I'm higher on them than the market. You know, over the over the summer, I was doing like my win totals, you know, and, and, and doing the research for, for stuff like that team by team. And I could tell that I was higher on, on USC than the market for reasons I'll get into uh, in a second. And I am definitely lower on Colorado than, than the market. And it's not like the market is super high on Colorado, but they, the win total on Colorado was like three and a half uh, for most of the summer at most books. So, some books now it has gone down to three, um, but I think that they're going to go one and 11. And I do not believe that Carl Durrell is going to survive the fall. Um Colorado is going to be very, very bad this year. We were just talking about USC, how they're going to, you know, they're having this historic roster remake and, and coaching staff, uh, you know, you know, remodeling and stuff like that, and how that's going to lead to this jump up. Colorado is sort of the opposite, although they, they did keep the coaching staff uh, mostly intact. But with the roster, you had this offseason of unprecedented uh, player movement, and this is something, by the way, that Nick Saban had warned college football about a couple of years ago. If you lift the, the restrictions on transfers, if you just lift it up, um, Nick Saban told us, I promise you, it is not going to help the bad teams. It is going to help the halves, right? Yeah. Like they're just going to start picking the, the players off the bad rosters. And we sort of started to already see that. Like, you know, it's, it, it sucks that Saban's sort of always right with stuff like this. But Carl Durrell saw it right, you know, close up. 
Um, his roster, they, they were picking guys off. I mean, they, they didn't have the most stars, but anyone that someone wanted off of Colorado, they were just going in there. By the way, Lincoln got Brendan Rice. He might have gotten one other guy from, from Colorado as well, but wasn't the only coach that was going in there. They're picking guys off. So Carl Durrell had to turn around. He had to go heavily into the transfer portal, essentially just to replace guys on the way out. You know, it's like this revolving door at Colorado where he's like, oh, man, you know, one of my receivers just left. You know, we got to we got to go into the portal. Now we're signing R.J. Sneed, you know, who was, you know, very disappointing at Baylor last year to replace Rice. And, you know, and it, there was all these other different ones where it's like a one for one. But every single time you were getting worse. Do, do you remember that movie Multiplicity with uh, with Michael Keaton? And it's like I- he's. He's making copies of himself, but every time he makes a copy, it gets worse and worse and worse. And like, but like, like by the the seventh time he makes himself, it's like you know a super stupid version of Michael Keaton. <laughs> it was sort of like that with with the Colorado and the and the this thing. Anyway, the, their their roster now it's like you know the three times four multiplicities beyond even what it was at the end of last year. You, you do have a little bit of the continuity, but it's not very like the, they got the quarterback back, but he's not very good. Um, and, and, you know, the defense was picked apart too. So I, 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 I don't love them. And then on the other side, the reason that I like TCU more than the market is the Gary Patterson era you know, obviously the way that it ended was very unfortunate and it was sort of like a tire fire there at the end. The, their defense, which for a decade plus had been awesome, uh, last year was awful. Like it, the wheels fell off. It was terrible. Like they gave up like 12 points more per game than they had from, from the year before. And the other thing was they couldn't pass because Max Dugan, their, their quarterback, he's this, this strapping dual threat who has a good arm but he, his accuracy is awful. Like it's, it's like nuclear louche, you know, for bold Durham, he's like hitting people in the stands and stuff like that. So even though TCU could run the ball last year, they, they ran it really well. Their offense was horribly inefficient because of the accuracy issues of Dugan. And then the turnovers that, that, that came out of Dugan's in, in, inaccuracy. And then meanwhile, every time you put your defense in a bad uh, position, it was just a matador allowing the, the, off, the opposing offense to score. Now you bring in a new coaching staff. Sonny Dykes is, has come in, famous you know guru of, of, of the air raid. He addresses, and, and, and some of the additions and, and returning, addresses the very specific weaknesses that last year's team had. Your primary one was the passing game. Now you're going from Max Dugan, the accuracy of verse Max Dugan, um, to, to where they're, they're more, uh, Morris, the uh, Chandler Morris, the, the guy who had started out last year as the backup, but he took over at, at the very end and was very impressive. You know, th- this kid was a, a four-star recruit. He is your more, uh, at least from a collegiate perspective, your more prototypical pocket passing uh, type passer, and he likes that the field spread. He's a perfect uh, fit for the air raid offense. TCU has plenty of weapons, uh, uh, t- like literally stocked with them, which is why it was so unfortunate that, that Dugan was so inaccurate. They have one of the best receivers in the nation in Quentin Johnston. And even the, the second, third, fourth are, are pretty solid in comparison to like other teams. So you're talking about, you know, top 20 receiving core, maybe top 15 in, in, in the entire nation. Um, and, and then, the, you know, the, the running back room should be pretty solid, too. But, the, you know, this year they're going to be catching a lot of passes. Zach Evans left. Maybe that's a part of the reason why the market was a little bit lower. He was the five star running back that they'd had. He had a lot of usage for that team last year. So maybe the market was a bit tepid. The offense wasn't good. Then they lose, you know, one of their best players, if not the best player. But I actually don't mind that. Zach Evans ended up going to Mississippi, signed with Lane Kiffin in the transfer portal. Zach Evans is a very good fit for that system. Because mostly because Lane Kiffin knew that that he's not a third down back, and he signed Ulysses Bentley from SMU to be the air back, the receiving back for that team. TCU now th- that's all they want. They they want the receiving running back Miller, the the guy who was you know back and forth with with Evans last year, and on a per touch basis was actually I think a little bit better. He's the guy who's going to get all the touches this year, and in this system, he like I said, he he's a better fit for it. TCU has a, a metric ton of starters coming back in total. You know, it's something like eighteen or nineteen, like something like that. 
I'm specifically on defense that they're bringing back just a ton of guys. The defense is going to be better. It, it cannot be as bad as it was last. Like literally mathematically, it's not possible. So it, it is going to be better. And you know that again, the biggest issue from last year's offense, that it has been addressed as, 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 you know, spot on as you could possibly address an issue. I think TCU is going to jump up this year. Thomas, you remember just a second ago when I said USC was tied for the biggest jump from my power ratings from the end of last year to the start of this year. The team they're tied with is TCU. All right, that makes sense. TCU, you're going with them over Colorado here. At the very least, saying that the point differential is not quite what it should be. Yeah, TCU for sure. I I think TCU blows out Colorado here. And again, I don't think Carl Carl Durrell is going to last the entire fall. I I think Colorado is going to go 0-3 in their non-cons because they scheduled a an unfortunately, a tragically hard non-conference schedule, and they're going to go into the Pac-12. It's going to be a rough year for Carl Durrell in Colorado, and I think it starts off against CCU. Now, Thor, I want to talk about some of these bigger matchups, not necessarily the largest differences, and then I'm going to hit you with some rapid fire before we get to your hammer of the week. But first, let's start off here. A big team taking on a matchup. We've got Colorado State going up against Michigan Michigan 27 and a half point favorites here. And you think that isn't even enough. Yeah. And you know, this is a, a lot of these games are fascinating matchups and it's not just because I'm a college football sicko this year. Again, you know, I go back to it with the off season of unprecedented movement. You have these rosters where they're just, totally different from last year. And then, you know, there was a lot of the coaching changes as well, more than usual. And so you have these enormous schematic changes going along with um, the, 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 the rosters being totally different um, in a way that we've never seen before in college football, literally college football history. Colorado state is one of those cases. That was a team where the last couple of years it had gone stale under Steve Adazio. Steve Adazio is one of those coaches that, how do I put this? His players don't like him. And the media doesn't like him, and, and, and most people that beat Steve Adazio uh, that I've talked to don't, don't, don't seem to like Steve Adazio. And it was like this thing with – with you know, I talked about this in a previous shows with Randy Edsel at, at, at UConn was another one where the roster had started to hate the coach. And just switching it out, you knew that the team's performance and, and their, their effort that they were putting in – you you know, just by definition, it was going to jump up for, for the new guy. And we saw that yesterday with Jim Mora, where UConn was playing harder and we'd seen them them playing in years. Colorado State now, they go to Jay Norvell, who these last several years has been at Nevada. He brought Nevada, you know, Nevada had sort of descended into the crater. He brought them out of that, you know, and, and he was, you, you had that high flying offensive attack, you know, Carson Strong and Romeo Dubes and Cole Turner and, and that whole thing, the air raid, you know, it's, he's, he's another air raid guy. He's bringing that to Colorado State. And he brought a ton, a ton of guys from Nevada with him, including his quarterback, including either two or three uh, receivers. And then they weren't all the, the guys that he brought with him from from Nevada. So, so that team is, is totally different. Um, when you're thinking about this handicap, you cannot even think about the, the last couple of Colorado State teams that, you know, that are in your mind, because not only is the personnel super different, the offensive strategy and the defense strategy is super different too. Adazio, you remember like before he was at Colorado state, he was at Boston college. He was AJ Dillon's coach. What he loves to do is just pound the the run, you know, it's just pound it, pound it, pound it. Last year, it was about forcing the ball to Trey McBride, but he was by far the best player that they had. Whereas now you're, you're spreading the field out. You know, I mean, you know, you're not going to have all the tight ends that Adazio had, um, you know, and, and stuff like that more playing big slots. And then the, the three receivers across the field. So you, you have that on the one side, Michigan, you know, of course, you, you you lost, especially the edge rushers. You know, that's that's the big thing they lost, of course, Hutchinson and and, and Ojabo. So some of the other losses they had, you know, guys that were drafted are more easily replaced. Like Hassan Haskins was an awesome college player, but they should be able to replace him easily enough because you have Blake Corum coming back. He's one of, one of the, I mean, certainly one of the nation's most explosive runners, one of the Big Ten's best runners just o- overall. Um, and, and then, you know, he's going to platoon with Edwards, and, and he, he's really good as well. So they should be able to replace that. What's going to be interesting with them is in the, in, in the early part of the schedule is watching the way that this quarterback situation plays out. Jim Mora, or I'm, I'm sorry, Jim Harbaugh, yesterday or the day before, I forgot what day it was, but he announced something vis-a-vis his quarterback situation 
that I've never seen in college football. And it's hard to do something where I've never seen it before, but he did. He announced Cade McNamara, who is the incumbent starter. He announced that he will be the week one starter. But he did not stop there because he announced that J.J. McCarthy, who was McNamara's backup last year, that he will be starting in week two and that the Wolverines will name their permanent starter in week three. You know, that they that won't just bizarre. be. It's really weird. It, it's it's really, really weird. And, you know, I, I think that this is, I you know, I, I don't have any inside information on this, but you have to assume that the reason that this is happening is Harbaugh was concerned over the offseason, again, going back to the unprecedented player movement that we were seeing in the transfer portal with the lifting of those restrictions. He had to be just absolutely terrified that J.J. McCarthy was going to walk on him to a place where he could start immediately, where there was going to be no questions asked. He was going to start 12 games this season. And so I think, you know, over the offseason, you're trying to convince McCarthy, like, dude, I know I've said in the past that it would be an open competition, I, and, and I meant it then, but I, I really mean it now. Like, I mean it even more than I did then. You know, you'll be given a, a, a fair shake. All the beat writers say that it, it was pretty even. Like, McNamara, he's going to give you – basically, you go with McNamara for the higher floor. He's going to give you more cost certainty, but he doesn't have the physical tools that McCarthy has. So McCarthy is the guy who raises the ceiling of, of the offense, potentially at a higher variance. Right. And so that that's sort of the interesting dis- decision on that. And Harbaugh, he got what he wanted. Both the quarterbacks stayed. And, and now you see whoever ends up losing that and is on the bench to start week three, they're not going to transfer in the middle of the season. So mission accomplished on, on, on you know, as far as that goes. But yeah, I mean, as, as, as far as this this game, the, the live line, Thomas, what was the live line in this one again? Live line. Uh, well, the line right now sits at 27 and a half. 27 and a half. Yeah. And my, my line on that was I, I have Michigan minus 32.3. So, I, you know, that's one where my numbers are, are pointing at Michigan as a value, but it's possible that my numbers, you know, cause these, you know, these are based on a lot of, of, of results specifically from, from last year, the data from, from last year certainly have been modulated with returning experience and stuff like that, that they have not come high enough on, on Colorado state. But, you know, again, because of all all the movement and stuff like that. But I need to see it with them. I need to see Norvell with these new guys. And I need to see the way that that passing attack looks. And I also need to see if, you know, for instance, on defense, are the Rams going to give more effort uh, for this new coaching staff than they were giving last year for Adazio? Those are things that I just don't know yet. But they are a team that could tick up in their performance if a couple of these open questions are answered. Now, another big game coming up this weekend. The official team of Vinny Bag of Donuts, Utah. The Utes are going up against Florida here. Florida two-and-a-half-point dogs at home in this spot. How the mighty have fallen for me growing up, and I apologize to the listeners of this podcast who might feel old now, but for me growing up was the Urban Meyer, Tim Tebow, absolute powerhouse Florida Gator years. And now all of a sudden the Utes, favored in this matchup here what say you on this one thor i like utah a lot i i like utah a lot i i i loved them earlier in the summer when the books mistaken well the books didn't think they were making a mistake apparently but they opened florida as a favorite and that was a mistake that was a big mistake utah is a legitimate national title contender i think utah is going to be in the college football playoff florida they're they're another interesting team that hated their coach last year. And, the, and the, it wasn't just that they hated Dan Mullen. It was, it was that that team was horribly mismanaged. And, and I won't get into that because people have heard plenty about that on Twitter. If, if you see Dame, every time Damian Pierce touches the ball or breathes or anything, people are talking about how Dan Mullen just criminally un, underused him last year, which is true. It's absolutely true. Um, but like, you know, there was all sorts of problems. Anthony Richardson probably should have been the starter last year as, as opposed to Emory Jones. Some of those things are going to be corrected just by Billy Napier coming in. You would, you would imagine also that this team is going to get better effort uh, overall. Um, certainly this team is going to be uh, better coached on offense. I, I, I hate to laugh, but man, Todd Grantham, um, Uh, Todd Grantham should not be in charge of of an FBS defense again. Um, Left a lot of guys on islands. Specifically, it was really unfair to to Kare Elam. Um, So, you know, now you're going to get into a situation where where it should be, you know, more back to basics and stuff like that, where you're not going to see your team get ripped for, for as many long gains and stuff like that. But we still have to see some of it come together. And the other thing is, 
it's not like Florida has like, you know, the, the talent on hand where, where they can be like, a, you know, like a contender for the SEC. They, they just don't. Right. Like Richardson, Richardson's a solid collegiate talent. This, this stuff about him being a top 10 NFL, like, I'm, I'm sorry to people in the NFL draft industry, because, you know, a lot of them are, are my friends. But the, the idea that that he's a top 10 or a top 15 overall NFL draft prospect in the preseason is absolutely ludicrous. The, 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 the guy's accuracy averse. He, he's been to this point in his career. He struggles to even tick it up over 50. Um, I do think he's a good fit in Napier's system because um, Napier makes very good use of his quarterback's legs, even when they are not running, you know, beyond the line of scrimmage. Like you saw this a lot with Levi Lewis at, at, at uh, Louisiana Lafayette, where they do a lot of, they, they do a lot of motion stuff and then they do the play action bootleg stuff. And you're going to see a lot of that with Richardson. And then, you know, if, if his options aren't open, that's going to open up these possibilities for him to run and he can rip off some explosive runs. So, so, you know, there's some stuff there, but like, Florida's running back room. They have four different guys. They can't decide on a running back, mostly because like th- these guys were like all like high four stars, low five stars, but none of them, they've been in, they've all been in college for several years. None of them have differentiated themselves. So I so I'm not super, you know, bullish on them. I don't love their their receiving core. Um, their offensive line has stunk for the last couple of years. That you know, that was the other thing that was maligned Grantham, and then the, the other one is the offensive line coach. Um, Mullen tried to, to save himself by firing both of them early last November and it didn't work, but we'll, you know, we'll have to see if they can fix some of that stuff. But like I said, that, it, it, that's probably going to take a little bit of time. And when you're facing a team, that's a legitimate contender to not only make the, the college football playoff, but potentially to, to, to do something there to win a game, maybe even, even make that the national title game. There's just a discrepancy, you know, with, with these two teams, Utah, their coach, he's one of the longest tenure coaches in college football in Whittingham. You know, there's like one or two guys that have been at, at their stops longer than him. He has been building towards this moment for, for a decade plus now. This is the best, the most talented team that he's had at Utah. He's had, you know, there was a team that he had that was undefeated and, and, and stuff like that. This team probably won't end up undefeated. They're probably not going to run the table and, and win the title. But if you put those teams and just stack them up, if, if those two teams played, this team, 2020, is winning. Um, they, they have a really good defense. Again, even though they lost Devin Lloyd, they actually stole a linebacker from, from Florida that, that's going to fit right in this Dia body kit, NFL prospect for sure. They have a very good secondary. They're good up front, well-coached on defense. They, they don't make the mistakes I was talking about with Florida. Um, and then on offense, you have one of the nation's best running backs in Tavion Thomas, who had over 20 touchdowns uh, last year. And then Cam Rising's back. And, and when they switched the offense from Charlie Brewer at the beginning of last year to Cam Rising, everything changed, right? Because you, you before you were limited and people could stack the box on you, once Rising was in there, you couldn't do that anymore. Rising can throw the ball down the field. He can hit the tight ends up the seam, and Utah has two good ones, so that they can do all, all, all that sort of stuff. And then the other thing is he doesn't only stretch the defense vertically, he stretches it horizontally because he's, he's a dual threat. He has good legs. So you have to worry about Thomas and then him, you know, on the ground, in addition now to, to the air game in a way that you didn't with Charlie Brewer because Charlie Brewer can't throw the ball beyond 20 yards downfield. I, I really like this Utah team. I think they're going to go in and that they're going to beat Florida for sure. Two teams that definitely were, again, like Florida powerhouses several years ago, but recently have been a little underwhelming. Florida State and LSU are going at it this weekend as well. LSU three and a half point favorites here, but you think the Seminoles should be more of a pick them. I do. Yeah. Um, now this is this, you know, for informational purposes, this one is, is going to be one that I'm going to be watching very closely because it, it would be hard to, to know exactly or, or to feel hundred percent confident in what your read is on LSU right this second you know, obviously the, the end of the, the coach O era was not very good. And then they, they fired him early so they could get a jump on, on the coaching search. So the end of last year, it's data that's sort of unusable. And in addition to that, they had injuries to key players last year that, that, that changed the way that they played. You know, for instance, on, on offense, Keishon Butte last year at this time, I mean, you would have bet your life. You would have bet the mortgage. You would have bet your house. You would have bet everything. The Keishon Butte would have been a first-round pick in April's draft. But he ends up getting injured early for the season, and now now he's he's back, you know, because he, he wants to get back up to that. He, he probably didn't like the, the you know, what, what he had heard back from the NFL coming off that injury, how high he'd go. He's a top, if not top 10 overall guy, a top 15 
overall guy. I, in my opinion, he should be in the discussion for best receiver in the nation. Typically, people just say Jackson Smith and Jigba for that and then just move on. I think Butte, you got to put him right up there. He, he needs to be in, in, in that discussion. So, so you have that. And then it's going to be interesting to see who Kelly goes with at, at quarterback, you know, to, to try to feed him and then the, the other guys the, the ball. It's down to the Arizona State transfer, Jaden Daniels, and then sort of the carryover, but carryover backup and Garrett Nussmeyer. Nussmeyer is is the pocket passer that doesn't have the mobility. Jaden Daniels, he's all mobility, and his 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 throwing game. Um, uh, how do I put it? It's it's been uh, his pocket game has been the Benjamin Button of college football the last three years. His best season was at ironically was as a true freshman. He got worse as a sophomore, and last year was by far the worst season that he'd had throwing the ball. He had a couple games last year where it was like, you know, put a sheet over the television. It, it was, it was so bad. Um, they've been working on Daniels's accuracy that they, they, you know, this summer and, you know, and stuff like that. They, they, they've talked very openly uh, with that about with the media about that, where they're working on his footwork and, and different, you know, it's a lot of mechanic stuff. You're trying to rebuild uh, Daniels from the ground up, but are you going to go with the dual threat there? Um, you know, we've seen Kelly, uh, you know, th- there's been times where he, he's had the du- Ian Buck sort of was Buckner, the, the guy that they had signed before. He, he's more of a dual threat. Or is he going to go more with the pocket passer, sort of like Jack Cohn was, uh, you know, th- th- this past year? I-, I do think that LSU is going to be better than they were last year. But Florida State absolutely is going to be better than they were, you know, over over the entire course of, of last season. And we started to see it down the stretch. Um, you know, like the way that the season started for Florida State last year, I didn't think Norvell was going to make the end of the regular season. They lost that game to the FCS team and they they started one and three or oh and four, whatever it was. Um, but then down the stretch, sort of magically and lo and behold, Jordan Travis, their quarterback, who previously had been like one of these guys who I'm talking about, who, who was like a dual threat, who couldn't hit the broadside of a barn. Down the stretch, he actually started to to make real legitimate progress as a thrower. And and the reason that that was such a huge deal was Florida State's running attack had already made it. It's just we weren't noticing it because, you know, the the offense would devolve into these long periods of inefficiency because the passing game was so bad. But you you remember uh, when Mike Norvell was at uh, Memphis, how explosive those running games were, you know, with all the different guys they had, Um, you know, Daryl Henderson and Tony Pollard and uh, Gibson played more in in the slot there. But, you know, like they they had all these different guys and and, and the, the rushing attack was just always super duper explosive. Um, and again, th- that's already taken off at, at Florida State. The key thing was getting the the, the quarterback play, uh, being able to pass the ball. Now it looks like they're, they're able to do that. Their defense also took a huge step forward. Um, in, in 2020, they were just awful. They were an abomination. The first four games of last year, they were also awful. But after that, I don't think they gave up more than 30 points in any game uh, in their last eight games. And, you know, that was a stretch where they they went, I think, five and three uh, d- down the stretch. So they are ticking up. There's reasons to think that they will continue uh, to, to tick up, that, that this is a progression going forward. This line live, it, it's LSU minus uh, three and a half, which I understand from a, a public perspective perception because uh, Florida State's been down in the dumps for, for so long. But I think these two teams qualitatively – are closer in reality than, than people do. And I absolutely think that this line should be closer to a pick than it is. Now, one of the biggest games of the weekend here we'll hit on before we do a little bit of rapid fire, but it's it doesn't get bigger than this when it comes to the brand names involved. Ohio State, I'm sorry, the Ohio <laughs> State University. Use that trademark, Thomas. They, they spent some money on it. You got to use it. <laughs> takes on the Fighting Irish of Notre Dame. Although apparently Notre Dame, not interestingly enough, the official uh, the official college of I of Ireland, they're apparently Nebraska fans. I don't know if you've seen that oh. going around, but apparently in Ireland, when you're a new driver, you have this big N sticker that you put on your car to signal to people that you're a new driver, and it's the exact Nebraska sticker. So whole bunch of Nebraska fans that uh, over over there that uh, teams recently found out as they went to Dublin this weekend for a game. But in this one, we got Notre Dame versus Ohio State laying 17 points with the Buckeyes here. What do you think of this? Are people undervaluing Notre Dame or is Ohio State very much that that far ahead of them? 
I think that Ohio State is is that far ahead of them. Um, you know, and, and it's not like I'm super duper low on on Notre Dame. You know, my power ratings. You know, they're like they're seventh. I got them seventh in the preseason, so it's not like I'm super duper low on them. But for me, this at least in the preseason right now, the way that I see it. You, you have your in college football. You have a, a a tier of two teams at the very top, Alabama and Ohio State, and then the second tier is a team under its Georgia. You know they're a step down from those top two, but there's no one else that, that that's that's there. And then I got Clemson a bit below Georgia, and I sort of have Clemson in their own tier. And then you're dropping down to the 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 sort of what becomes then a clump like after that. And Notre Dame is in that clump, like with Michigan, with Utah, who we were just talking about with A&M, you know, a, a couple of different teams like that. Ohio State, they, they, you know, of course, they lost the two first round receivers, you know, like, you know, so, so you know, you have that. But you have, you know, arguably the nation's best quarterback. If he's not, he's number two, you know, Bryce Young and Stroud. We're, we're not going to get into that argument right now. You also have it's it's the same thing a running back either the nation's best or that I I would call him the second and Travion Henderson I I, I prefer Bijan a bit but like Travion absolute monster talent so so your backfield is amazing and your receiving core is going to remain amazing because even though you lost lost the two first rounders Jackson Smith and Jigba comes back who arguably is the best receiver in the nation if not one of the top two and then Marvin Harrison Jr. now the the five star who's been waiting his turn he's going to get a starting job he's going to do all you know he's probably going to go over a thousand yards in his first year and then you have a couple other five stars that you can decide on for for the third job whether that's uh, Julian Fleming or whether that's Buka, right and, and they got guys beyond that too so like they're they're doing just fine there their offensive line looks good um, and, and where that team can improve this year, they're just hoping like their offense is already awesome and it should remain awesome where, where, where they could improve a bit. Um, and they're going to have to, to beat, to beat Alabama. Like, again, I, I think those two teams are in a neighborhood of, of their own, but for Ohio state to be able to do that this year, the defense has to be better. And, and, and they knew it did, right. That's why they went out and they, they hired the um, uh, Oklahoma state defensive coordinator. They, they've gone in there and, that you know, I was talking about the the quotes that we were getting from the USC defensive coaches that that were a little bit tepid. It's been sort of the opposite at Ohio State, and again, it, it's an interpretation thing where I don't know if it's bluster or if it's if it's if if it's real. Um, but like they really think that they're going to have a top ten defense this year, um, you know, or maybe even a top five. Like that, you know, I mean, they are dreaming high. They, they certainly have a, a ton of talent there. But, but we have seen that defense struggle in some big spots these past couple of years. Uh, the one that jumps to mind from, from last fall was when they were playing Michigan. And I mentioned Hassan Haskins earlier, and, and he cut through them like a, a hot knife through butter last year. So they're going to have to fortify that, that front seven for sure. But um, yeah, I just think that they have too many weapons for Notre Dame in this game. With Notre Dame, it's, it's the first game of, of the Marcus Freeman era. Of course, he's a, he's a holdover, and and most of the um, the, the staff, that the, you know, they retain most of the staff. So you lost Brian Kelly, but you're keeping most of them. But, but you know, Freeman's in, in this spot for the first time in his life. It's, you know, I, you know, I'd be surprised if right away it's, it's exactly, you know, what he's going to become as a head coach. Um, and then you have the, the, a new starting quarterback uh, and, and, and stuff like Buckner's you're going to have to, to work him in Buckner's the guy that, that, that he had platooned in behind Jack Cohn last year. They really need him to be like a star like, you know, this coming season. And then that's how they could potentially be a playoff contender. But I just, I, I don't see them competing with Ohio state in this game. My, my line on this one is Ohio state minus 19.7. Now Thor, let's hit on some rapid fire here before we finish off with the hammer of the week. I'm going to give you five games here that you have some of your biggest discrepancies on. I just want you to hit on them real quick, minute or less. We're going to start off Middle Tennessee versus James Madison. James Madison's laying six and a half right now. You think it should be half a point? I do, yeah. I think that one should be closer to a pick James Madison, you know, last year, these past couple of years, we had 130 FBS teams. Now we have 131. James Madison, you know, is a team that, that's coming up to the FBS th- this year. The books are – shockingly bullish on on James Madison uh, this year. Uh, going back to the win total thing, James Madison is only playing 11 games this regular season because they're on, what, what do you call it? Not pr- probationary is not the right word. Um, you know, like for one yeah. year you have to, what's the word? I, I would say probationary is probably the right term. Oh, okay. Well, so, so so they're on that for a year. They got like the FBS training wheels on for a year. So they're only playing 11 regular season games and yet their, their win total is set at six and a half. 
which which really caught my eye because in in, in and now they were a, a power at the FCS, but in previous years the powers that have come up they have not started that quickly. You know, like Appalachian State, uh, Georgia Southern, um, some of those different teams that we've seen come up, they have not been as strong in in year one. Middle Tennessee is a team that that has a lot of guys back. They have their quarterback back. They have a ton of their receivers back. This year they're going to more of a true air raid system. I, I think that suits what what they have coming back. I think that that game should be a pick. I view it as a coin flip. I like Middle Tennessee. Troy versus Ole Miss. Ole Miss is 22 and a half point favorites. Yeah, that one is uh, is fascinating to see. If, if Is Jared Dagey going to be starting on, on Troy? Jared Dagey had this this just crazy offseason where he, he started at West Virginia. It, it didn't seem like West Virginia wanted him back. He transferred to Western Kentucky to take over for Bailey Zappi and was told, uh, you know, 10 days ago that he was not going to win that starting job. He lost it to this kid who had come up from D2. So then he transfers down to Troy, but there's a very short turnaround here. Although Troy was the, the school that Neil Brown, the West Virginia coach, had come from previously. So it's schematically, it, it should be stuff that, that he is at least familiar with. But we'll see if, if that's a quick enough turnaround time where, where he's going to be able to start uh, right away. Um, and then as far as Ole Miss, the, the whole team is, is, you know, it's one of those things where a lot of the team was remade because the Portal King, Lane Kiffin, uh, signed everybody. You know, Jackson Dart was an awesome signing from USC. I, I talked about the the, the backs before. Um, so, so, yeah, the, there's a lot of um, – uh, on both sides, you, you're, you're going to have a much different thing. My adjusted line on that is is minus 17.3. I, I think this is a similar thing where some of the excitement that was generated by Lane Kiffin over the offseason, it might be leading to a bit of an objective ta- tax that you're going to have to pay if you want to bet on Mississippi. Maryland versus Buffalo. Maryland, same thing, 22.5 point favorites. You think it should be 17.3? Yeah, I think that one should probably be a, a little bit lower. Um, people are excited about Maryland this year. They 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 have Tagovailoa, uh, Tua's brother is is coming back at quarterback, and they have a really nasty receiver room uh, where they're going to have three or four of those kids get drafted into the NFL. So you have that stuff going for them, and that's that's great. Their their passing attack is is going to be very good. I still need to see them. Uh, uh, put forth a, a rushing attack to, to complement that, that I'm confident in. And then the other thing is that the defense is just, you know, going, that's the one thing that Loxley needs to fix. Um, Buffalo, they're, they're, you know, they're going to try to shorten the game, establish the run. It, it, it's what they've done since Leopold. It's what they're still doing now. So to get over this 22 and a half number against a Maryland team, that's not a juggernaut by any means. Does Maryland get enough possessions in this game to, to have an opportunity to do that would be my biggest question. Reno takes on Texas State and the Wolfpack minus four and a half in this one. Yeah, uh, Nevada. You know, last I was I was watching Nevada and, and New Mexico State, and that was uh, uh, Nevada did win that game. Um, they they were as much given it as as they they won. Uh, New Mexico State started quarterback Diego Pavia, who was a he was a JUCO, you know, previously. He turned the ball over four times in the first half, and I, I thought he was going to get yanked at that point. Jerry Kill decided not to pull the plug on him, and he, he threw another interception immediately coming out of halftime. So th- th- then they pulled the plug on him. But I, that's probably not your referendum game on this, this new-look Nevada team. We were talking before about how uh, Jay Norvell had gone from Nevada to Colorado State, and then Nevada was just a crater. Um, you know, they, they're starting uh, Illinsworth at, at quarterback. Nevada is a, a kid who would come over from Oklahoma state. He looked okay. against New Mexico state, but New Mexico state is one of the two worst teams in the FBS. And after what I saw um, in the last game, I actually ticked them down to be in one thirty one, the the lowest team on the totem pole. So again, don't, don't jump too high over yourself over that one. I think maybe that's a part of th- that explains this line, both the fact that Nevada won on the road in the opener and then also people's memories of those teams going back a couple years. I, I think that explains, a, a, you know, sort of attacks on Nevada. But, yeah, my, my numbers are saying that, that Texas State should probably be the extremely slight favorite. Yeah, my numbers favor Texas State by 0. .6 points. So I, I see this one as a coin flip, and I'll probably have money on Texas State. The next one up here, last one in our rapid fire, Cincinnati, the former playoff contenders going up against the Arkansas Razorbacks here. Razorbacks land five and a half. Yeah, the the market might be overreacting a bit to 
Cincinnati, that what Cincinnati lost, you know, between Desmond Ritter, Jerome Ford, uh, Alec Pierce, the, the guys that they lost on, on defense. Obviously, last year, you know, it was the historic season with, with the college football playoff and everything. But I think that there's this thought that they caught, you know, Luke Fickle caught lightning in a bottle and now you lose all, all these studs. And now they're just going to revert back to being, you know, like a, a good G5 team, but maybe not being a really, really, really awesome G5 team. I think they're still a really, really awesome uh, G5 team. Uh, the, the quarterback, they should be able to – maybe you're, you're not going to get a guy as, as good as Ritter, but Ben Bryant was a really solid starter for Eastern Michigan last year. The other kid that he's competing with in camp was a solid four-star recruit. They also got a, a, a local kid from – he had signed with LSU coming out of high school, this Corey Kiner kid, at running back to help replace Jerome Ford. They like a couple – they have two different running backs named Montgomery who have been on the depth chart. That They, they like both of them, so that they're going to have a, a sort of stable of backs. And I think the defense is going to remain really, really solid always is under fickle and they still have plenty of, of guys on there my, my line on this is is much much closer it's another one where my system sees this game as more of a pick them whereas vegas or the market i, I suppose more accurate accurately stated is 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 you know th- th- they're making a call on which side they like um my, my line on this game is arkansas minus one all right it is time now thor's hammer of the week we've saved the best for last what is your favorite play on the slate this week yeah, I mean, looking over the early lines that we have right now, it, it, it's Pittsburgh, um, you know, playing against West Virginia in, in their annual rivalry game. And you have a couple different things going on here where with West Virginia, West Virginia is hanging a lot of their hopes and dreams. And I mean, Neil Brown is almost hanging his continued employment upon the idea that JT Daniels can be what people were dreaming on him being several years ago at USC. And now, you know, since then, there's been several injuries. He was run out of USC. He he lo- outright lost the, the starting job at, at Georgia. We have not seen him on the field much these past couple of years. N- now you bring him in here and, and you're sort of ex- – Neil Brown, it seems like he, he sort of expects – he needs J- JT Daniels to help save his job. Um, I, I think that they're going to have problems there. The running game, um, I, I'm not sure what they're going to get there either. They had signed Lynn J. Dixon in the transfer portal from Clemson. Dixon left. Um, th- th- they're going to start this kid named Tony Mathis, but I don't, I don't think they have a lot of backfield depth either. I don't love their defense either. So, like, for me, West Virginia is more like a, a team that's going to finish, like, 4-8 and eight, uh, than, than maybe what the common perception is. Whereas with Pittsburgh – I think the market is expecting them to fall way off after all the losses they had over the off season. And that's in a lot of ways, understandable. You know, you lose the only guy that was taken, the only quarterback that was taken in the first two rounds in Kenny Pickett, you lose the Belitnikov winner in Jordan Addison. They, they lost other guys in addition to that, but those are two just mega, mega losses. And then you also lost your offensive coordinator, the architect of it in Mark Whipple, and then sort of the, the co-architect of it in their wide receiver coach, Brennan Marion. So you, you have all those losses. I understand why the market might be a little bit down on them. I'm certainly, I, I certainly believe that Pittsburgh is going to take a step back, uh, a slight step back this year, but not nearly as much as the market seems to be anticipating. The reason why is, they bring in Keaton Slovis. I don't think Slovis is as big of a drop-off from Kenny Pickett as 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 is commonly believed. Slovis was a kid a couple of years ago who, who was great at, at USC, and he's someone whose uh, skill set is very conducive to what Pittsburgh does, where it's like the, the quick hitting stuff where, you know, sideline to sideline, and then you sort of keep, keep stretching the defense out, intermediate, and that, now we're going deep and stuff like that. Slovis can definitely do that. And the, the guy they brought in to, to try to replace Addison, you know, it's not going to be a one-for-one, but I don't think it's going to drop off as, as much as people think is Kanata Mumfield from Akron, who finished, this is according to PFF, in the 97th percentile last year in terms of separation gained against man coverage. So, so you have that going on. The, the passing game will go down a little bit, but again, maybe not as much as people think. But then, on you know, you look at some of the other metrics, the running game is certainly going to go up. Uh, you know, they, they had a deep backfield last year. All those guys are back. They, they go three, four deep in the backfield. So they're going to be running the ball uh, more this year. They should be running it more effectively. And, and Narduzzi wanted to do that anyway. You know, that was part of the reason, I think, why why Whipple left. The other thing is their defense is probably going to be better. They, they have seven defenders back uh, this year. Last year, they were very good at specific things. Um, Havoc was, was one of them. I think they finished number two in the nation in sacks per game. Um, now, with all these defenders, 
defenders back, you're hoping that you can improve the efficiency a little bit. And I, I think that they'll be able to do that. So you're, you're going to go down a little bit in the passing attack. You're going to go up in, with the rush. You're going to go up in the defense. Hope, you know, hopefully it's, it, it's around to, you know, just a slight step back overall, you know, because you're losing that Trump card of your passing attack. And then in, in this matchup, Again, you know, going back to how we started off the show, you're just looking for value. And generally that that comes when your perception of one team, it's way off from the market and then on the other side as well, when, when it can start to accelerate. And that's what it is with this one. I'm lower on West Virginia than the market, probably a bit higher on Pittsburgh than the market is. The, this line live right now is is minus seven and a half. My line on, on this one is Pittsburgh minus 17.8. So I have, I have an overlay of over 10 points. And by the way, if you look at, at some of the betting data out there publicly right now, it seems like the Sharps uh, these past couple of weeks in this month leading up to the season that they've been hitting Pittsburgh on this line as well. So I'm not sure that that line is going to stay at, at Pittsburgh minus seven and a half. I, I think you're probably going to see it closer to 10 by kick. Well, thank you so much, Thor, for all of the valuable insight today. Again, guys, we are going to be back at it every week of the college football season, every Sunday. Um, show's probably going to drop on Monday, so watch out for it early in the week to start your week off and get the idea of what the college football landscape for the weekend is going to look like, what you should be betting on, get a head start attacking those lines early. Thor, where can they find all of the awesome work you're doing throughout the college football season? You can find me on Twitter at Thorku, T-H-O-R-K-U. And you can find my work on Fantasy Pros and and Betting Pros. All right. Thank you so much, guys. Once again, you know the drill. Follow at Betting Pros on the Twitter. And, of course, give us that five-star review. If you like us, tell your friends. Seriously, like, subscribe, like, subscribe and share you know how it goes thor thank you so much for joining us today and guys best of luck all week let's cash those tickets